Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing about the time Disney almost built a ski resort in Mineral King, California. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this one. This is pretty crazy. I always enjoy talking about like failed Disney resorts, plans, stuff like that. Sometimes they're more interesting than the plans they built. (laughs) Sometimes. And it's interesting to see what ideas they were going to use for that kind of the failed ventures that ended up coming into the parks. A little bit of foreshadowing there. We did get something out of this, even though the ski resort uh, didn't end up getting built. Yeah. But before we get into that, I want to cover the Disney news of the week. Um, So the big news is that parking trams are coming back to Walt Disney World. (laughs) So... Wow. I know everybody everybody since Disney World opened has been talking about when are the parking trams coming back? Why can't we have parking trams? They are finally returning. Uh, everybody is very excited about this. So they're going to be back at the Magic Kingdom this month. Um, but then all of the other parks, uh, who knows when they're going to be coming. Disney just said that they will be coming to the other theme parks sometime in 2022. So much <laughs> in the way of the D23 announcements uh last week that it was basically just hey sometime in 2022 these events are going to happen uh eventually in 2022 we're going to get parking trams i mean when you're in a disney park you walk pretty far anyway so i'm sure that if you're a local and you're parking your car or you rented a car this would be very helpful particularly the magic kingdom the parking lot is bigger than the park itself right i know the animal kingdom uh, has a pretty big parking lot as well you know we've never driven so we've never had to like walk through the parking lots we've always stayed on property Um, but yeah i can imagine that especially with crowds picking up you know when it first opened there probably wasn't as many people parking and park as far away but yeah with with as crowded as it as it's getting that could be a pretty long walk when like you said you're already walking miles and miles a day to begin with you know what this this just kind of made me think you know if disney actually needed to acquire more land they could probably build parking garages and take some of their lots away and they could really have a lot more space to deal with. Yeah, they could take some of their, their parking lots. The problem is that with uh, parking garages are very expensive to build. It's much oh. easier to have big surface lots. But you're right. You could yeah. potentially expand some of the land. That's what, the, that's what they're doing over at Disneyland, actually, where they don't have a lot of space. Mm-hmm. Taking parking lots. I mean, DCA was a parking lot. They built parking garages to give them more space for the theme parks. But over at Walt Disney World, they have enough space. They really don't need to do this. And also, with the new uh, Spider-Man movie coming out in a couple weeks, the producer of the Spider-Man movies, Amy Pascal, uh, was talking to, I think it was Entertainment Weekly, and she mentioned that there's actually another Spider-Man trilogy in the works already with Tom Holland. So this will not be the last Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland. They're planning another trilogy. Now, I will be cautious about that because they were supposed to have like six Spider-Man movies with Andrew Garfield, yeah. and that stopped after two. But she's saying that you know she... Loves working with Tom Holland. He's a great Spider-Man. That they're working on another trilogy with him. Figured there probably would be more Spider-Man movies. But it's interesting that they're already announcing another trilogy is in the works. I guess it'll be Spider-Man in college. Yeah, I'm actually surprised to hear this because I know Tom Holland made the comment. We've, uh, I think you and I have talked about this before, not necessarily on the podcast, that something along the lines that if he is you know, past a certain age and still playing Spider-Man, that that would be a failure on his part. Yeah, he did a YouTube video on with Vanity Fair, and he mm-hmm. talked about that, that he's like, you know, I, I love playing Spider-Man, but if I'm like 40, still playing Spider-Man, that's not going to make sense. He's 25 now, so you know, another trilogy is probably another six or seven years. 
So that would put him in his early 30s. He's probably got another three movies left, and you could get Spider-Man through college. Um, but then after that, you probably are going to pass the torch, which they could easily you know, start to incorporate Miles Morales yeah. in the Spider-Man movies, and Tom Holland could just become uh, like an adult Spider-Man, kind of like what they did in Into the Spider-Verse, you know, where you have yeah. adult an adult Peter Parker uh, kind of mentoring the young Miles Morales. So I could see the MCU going that way to keep Tom Holland in there. Cause I, I almost see him as he could move into kind of like an Iron Man role where he is, becomes the, you know, adult Avenger <laughs> there. His, his kind of guiding, you know, the young Avengers that show up in the next decade here. Yeah. I think that that role would be pretty suitable for him. Yeah. I mean, Tom Holland's great. So any, any way you can make more movies with him, keep him in the <laughs> MCU. Um, I think True. that's good. All right, and we also got another listener question this week. So this one comes from Kate W. And she asks, what is your favorite park icon and why? Now, I will just quickly say my favorite park icon is Spaceship Earth. And Angela, (laughs) I believe yours is Cinderella Castle. Yes. All right, but uh, Kate, I will say this. If you want to hear in a lot more detail, probably more detail than you ever wanted to know about why those (laughs) are our favorite park icons, uh, we actually did a whole episode on it not too long ago. So go check out episode 179 for that. And any of our other listeners uh, that are interested, we do a whole ranking on what's the best park icon during the day, during night, and just overall. Be sure to go and, and listen to that episode. But thank you for your question, Kate. Yeah, but I do think the Tree of Life comes in pretty close to second for me so let's roll into our main topic so like we talked about in the beginning disney almost built a ski resort uh in mineral king valley in california and mineral king just as a a quick background on mineral king it actually is an old mining town silver was discovered there in 1872 and there was, it was a quick boom and bust, though. Mm-hmm. It, it was found quickly, um, but very quickly it was determined to be a bust and became a ghost town, I think within like a decade. Yeah, um, it didn't take very long. Yeah, to move in. But Disney kind of comes into the orbit in the kind of 1960s here for a potential ski resort. So in February of 1965, the Forest Service created an ad that welcomed proposals for a ski resort. So they were looking for something to do with this land so that they were they accepted six proposals and one of those companies happened to be Disney. Now, Disney was interested in this because Walt actually really enjoyed skiing. He was the chairman of the pageantry committee at the 1960 Winter Olympics in California. This job of his was that he needed to oversee the staging of the openings and the closing ceremonies, the victory ceremonies, and the torch relay. And it was actually a big turning point also in the the winter or like the Olympics and the Olympic ceremonies, which we're actually going to have to do a whole episode on later. Um, There was a lot of good information on this particular Olympics. Yeah, he was interested in it and they ended up actually winning the bid. So they created these plans that they were going to build a, quote, American Alpine Wonderland. So they wanted to build a beautiful place to go with a five-story hotel with 1,030 rooms, a movie theater, a general store, pools, ice rinks, tennis courts, golf course, 22 lifts and gondolas, ski runs that were four miles long with 30, uh, 3,700 foot drops and 10 restaurants and cafes. So, I mean, this, they are going to build up an entire ski village. And if you've ever gone to like a cute little, like small town tucked in the mountains, this actually sounds like a paradise. It sounds really, really awesome. And one of the reasons why Disney's proposal was actually 
picked over the other ones is they were also going to pay to build a road, an access road. And that was one of the biggest issues with the Mineral King plot because it was, I believe it was designated as like a game preservation district, but it was actually surrounded on three sides by the Sequoia National Forest, which is the national park now. But I believe at the time it was just a national forest. And so it it was kind of surrounded by the national forest. And basically because it was an old mining town, there was just like dirt mining roads that were dangerous to travel to. So it was very difficult to access. So, you know, part of this was that they were going to build a 25 mile all season road and that Disney was going to help pay for it. So that was actually one of the reasons why Disney's proposal was chosen and Disney kind of put a a budget at around like 35 million for this to build kind of this whole village and they wanted to, you know, have this village there, but they also wanted to try to preserve kind of the look and everything and so they they wanted to limit like how many cars were actually in the village. So they had this idea to build like a huge parking structure that was down at the bottom of the slopes and then they would transport the guests up so that that way you know you didn't need a lot of parking in the village itself you could kind of contain that separately from everything else interestingly you know one of the other things that they were working on to include in this town is imagine imagineers designed a new singing dancing robotic bear uh show sounds familiar yeah and this was actually gonna be part of a restaurant there so they developed Uh, a restaurant, and this was going to be entertainment. So kind of like Chuck E. Cheese, (laughs) if you think about it, you know, kind of an animatronic band playing while you're eating dinner. But yeah, this ultimately was basically the Country Bears Jamboree. Right. Um, And so yeah, this was the one thing that we got that came out of this whole kind of proposal um, and ski village that they were going to build that, you know, even though that didn't go forward, they liked the Country Bears Jamboree enough that they brought it to the theme parks as an event. It would have been interesting to see that as part of like a dinner show. I mean, the Country Bears Jamboree, it's a good attraction, but I'm not sure. I imagine it would have been in like a, a little bit of a different format to be a dinner show because if you're going to play for like, I guess, 15, 20 minutes, I mean, a much longer show, that would have been an interesting thing to see as kind of part of a meal. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to tread lightly here. I, I think it would be more interesting when if you had something else to do at the same time. I'm not really the biggest fan of the... Uh, country bears jamboree though but i know there are a lot of people who really love it so yeah it would have been interesting to see like i said as a dinner show yeah so to your point where it's that's not the main thing you're there for like you're there to eat and then there's happens to be 15 minute show or something like that just as kind of like you know entertainment in between things and again i guess you know it was good enough that they you know turn it into a theme park attraction Ski towns don't really make money on their own so you know just like a lot of i think what disney does they had like this plan to earn their money from their visitor services. And it was actually projected that they would earn $600 million over their first 10 years. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. If the cost was 35 million, they've earned, they earned 10 million their first or 600 million over their first 10 years. They're, they're making quite a chunk of change there. Yeah. And, and to kind of give some more context to this as well, because a lot of this kind of comes into play later on, as to why this resort ultimately failed to kind of move forward is that, you know, 1965 is when the bids went out uh, early 1965 for the proposals for the ski resort. Disney was announced the winning proposal one month after Disney announced they had just acquired all the land in Florida to build 
a theme park and things down there. So that kind of comes into play as well that Disney at the same time as they're looking at this also is now looking at building out Florida. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of interesting that these announcements come. They're almost concurrent. Yeah, they come one month after each other because it, it does kind of impact the fact that one was built and one wasn't. And to give a little bit more detail, you kind of mentioned all the hotel rooms and, and kind of how they were building a village. As early as 1966, uh, in the Disney News, the Magic Kingdom Club, Disney had some information in there about the ski resort. And they talked about that, quote, the company's entire approach has been based on the absolute necessity to preserve the site's natural beauty and alpine character. And they go on to talk about this in more detail about how they plan to do this. And they said that further, the area's natural character will be preserved by camouflaging ski lifts, situating the village so that it cannot be seen from the valley entrance, and putting service areas in a 60,000 square foot underground facility beneath the village. Again, I don't know how Disney planned to you know, camouflage ski lifts, <laughs> but it kind of goes to show the same way Walt's vision with theme parks of just in terms of like sight lines and just kind of the customer experience. And they even talk about an underground facility, which is what they did with the Utilidors at the Magic Kingdom that, you know, they're talking about this here in the ski village um, and kind of how even Walt saw that as Epcot as the community that, you know, trash would be moved all underground. And again, just to kind of keep things more beautiful uh, and more pleasing to the eye that they're you know kind of talking about that type of stuff uh, in a ski resort, which I think, $35 $35 million was probably low in terms of cost. I think if they actually built this thing, it would cost much more than that in order to include all this stuff. But yeah, it was interesting that yeah, as early as uh, 1966, so shortly after you know it was announced they had won this proposal, that they're already talking about kind of these grand plans for it. Even though they kind of tried to assure people that they weren't going to try to like really damage the natural beauty of the land. You know, that wasn't good enough. And again, companies sometimes say things and then they don't follow through with them. So there were a lot of environmental activists that were not very happy with this announcement. Yeah. And this is kind of like the first, I guess maybe say domino that fell kind of in opposition to this ski resort. So there was a lot of factors that we'll get into that ultimately kind of compounded that that stopped this that, that mm-hmm. stopped this development from ever moving forward but really the first was like you said this resistance from the Sierra Club that that they did not feel it was in the best interest or use of the land to you know develop this into a tourist destination that hundreds of thousands if not millions of people are going to come to. Well, right, because currently, you know, whenever they this was announced, the area only attracted 24,000 visitors and most of those people actually came in the summer, whereas Disney was projecting at least 1 million guests. So, I mean, the foot traffic and again, you know, people aren't clean, we're not neat, you know, people litter and so they're taking all of that stuff into account whenever they're thinking, okay, well that's way 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 more people that are going to be, you know, caught having foot traffic in the area and ruining the natural beauty. And also just the impact of building the road. So again, right. you know, most people came in the summer because because you couldn't pass the road in the winter because it was a dirt road, it was not, you know, made, <laughs> it was covered in snow. And so, you know, building a road through there um, was going to have a huge impact, just the amount of dirt that needed to move, trees that needed cleared as well, just to have people be able to go in and out of there. And we've traveled some of those roads in California, and some of them are... Oh, mining roads, yep. They're very, pretty crazy. Very, very suspect. Yeah, so imagine imagine a dirt road like that uh, on the I, side I can't, of a I cannot, I cannot. I had to lean to the... 
Joe and I went on a trip and I had to lean to his side of the car because I was afraid we were going to fall off because I guess in California, they don't believe in guardrails. So it was pretty funny um, because I'd look off to my right and there was a thousand plus foot drop. Now, just imagine riding that though in a horse and buggy. Oh my gosh. No, it's I like don't. the Oregon Trail. Oh no. You died of a rock slide. And then something spooks your, <laughs> spooks your horse. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So just a brief aside, the Sierra Club, I don't know, you know, you might not know, was actually founded by John Muir. So John Muir was an environmental activist. He, you know, was part of why Yosemite National Park exists. And he was really into preserving the Sierra Mountains. And so that club kind of grew up around him. He had a lot of people that followed him and respected him. And they kind of kept going on in his legacy. There were a lot of the Sierra Club members that were really instrumental in trying to stop this, but Jean Koch was one of them. Her name was exclusively mentioned in in my article, and she and some of the others petitioned federal officials, penned letters. They did hike-ins, and they did this for more than 10 years to try to halt these plans. So it wasn't necessarily like they had a thing against Disney. They had a thing against this area being developed. And this was like a big change for the club too, because you know, as as far back as you know, nineteen forty eight, they actually supported developing part of this land for a ski resort. And those plans didn't make it because of the access road, because of the issue. So there actually was support for a resort not even from the Sierra. Yeah, club. not that far back, but then uh, you know, again, I don't know what those plans were. I mean, obviously Disney had some grand plans and a you know, large scope and you know, we talked about a million people coming a year. I'm sure the plans the Sierra Club backed were not that grand, you know. Probably. So so that kind of, you know, comes into effect as well. They kind of were the first ones to oppose this. One of the things that the Sierra Club really hated about this proposal was the 25 mile road, which then eventually did get knocked down to a six mile road because uh, they changed their plans to include a cog railway, but also there were power lines that would cut through the Sequoia, Sequoia national park as well, which they did not, they were not in favor of. So they didn't really like this. Obviously they were working their darnest to try to get it shut down, but it was still approved, and so the, cl- the club actually sued the heads of the Sequoia National Park and the Sequoia National Forest and the Interior and the Agriculture Secretaries in federal court. So they were not having it. They were not happy with decisions being made. To them, especially, it probably reeked of, oh, well, this is a big company coming in, and you guys are in their pockets, so you're listening to them. And so they were like, you know, you can't do this. So they actually argued that the project improperly handled control of too much of the national forest land to Disney and the highway through these, the national park was illegal. The judge issued an injunction. So there were actually multiple injunctions that were issued and that halted the plans until the case went to the Supreme court. Yeah. That's pretty amazing that this made it all the way to the Supreme court. Yeah. Um, But do want to just mention while the Sierra club was against it, there were a lot of people for it. I, I look back at like old news articles and things and there were a lot of locals that were for the economic influx and development and you know tourism that would bring. And I actually saw that the Advance Register, which was a local paper, wrote an editorial kind of bashing the Sierra Club, <laughs> saying, you know, essentially Mineral King land isn't, you know, being used that well now. Like that having this ski resort is is 
you know, a better use for it? And, you know, why are you kind of against it? You know, there was clearly, and there always is, anytime there's an say. issue, there's always people, you know, on both sides. And, you know, when you're dealing with preserving land, it is even like the National Park Service today. I mean, it's kind of a struggle. Like, like we went to Yosemite and, and you talked about, you know, Yosemite. It's tough because you want to preserve that land, but also it's one of the most visited national parks in the country. And it's like balancing out the impact of visitors coming in versus preserving the land. And so like, it's always a struggle that you have. And, you know, these groups and rightfully so, I mean, you want to preserve the land as much as you can, but you also want to make that land accessible to people to kind of enjoy nature's beauty and want to preserve it even more. And so it's always a, a struggle. It's a balancing act. And I it mean, is. there's always a problem with that. I mean, even if you look in our own government now, there's always that struggle between well, what do we preserve? What do we do? This produces jobs. And I mean, there are two valid sides to both arguments. Um, so it is kind of hard. This is a really tough topic here. But the case went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court actually ruled against the Sierra Club uh, April 19th, 1972. And basically, they were suing under the Administrative Procedure Act. But the court said, uh, it was a four to three decision, so it's pretty close, that the club failed to show that any of its members had specifically suffered from this. And that their kind of argument was saying that, hey, you're basically just saying in general, this is going to cause a problem, but you haven't proved that an individual person has suffered from this. So they were actually struck down. But even before the Supreme Court ruling in 1972, a few other things happened um, that kind of slowed this down. So in 1966, um, Walt died. And Mm -hmm. so that was, you know, a big shakeup in the Disney company just in general. But with Walt being one of the driving forces behind this, because he was involved in the Olympics, he had a love of skiing. He was really one that wanted to do this, who had the vision of it having him not be there kind of slowed down some progress as well. And then also Disney World to the Magic Kingdom opened in 1971. And that actually ended up costing $400 million when the company was only thinking it was going to cost 70. So that's what, like I said, I don't think 35 (laughs) million. Gross, gross difference there. That's what I'm saying. I I think, you know, 35 million was their cost estimate for the Mineral King. That would have been way higher than that because they thought, yeah, Magic Kingdom was going to cost 70. It cost them 400 million. So they were kind of strapped for cash at that point. So they actually, around then, when when Disney World opened, they actually revised their plans to the project and cut the budget down to $15 million. And this is when the roadway was dropped from it. And as you mentioned, they were going to then build a 15-mile cog railway instead. So instead of having a full road that people would drive up themselves, they would be taken uh, via railway, um, which I think helped alleviate some people's criticisms of it because obviously a a railway would be less invasive than a road. I know even like the Department of the Interior even wasn't thrilled and kind of opposed the 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 whole idea of the roadway for a lot of this. So I think they kind of did that to try to help, but also it was a cost cutting measure as well. So even before this court case comes out, Disney's just losing momentum on their end as well. Walt dying, they're losing their driving factor. They don't have as much money now, and they're already kind of revising the plans. Like, well, hey, maybe we don't need that road. Maybe we don't need as many ski lifts. Maybe we don't need as many hotel rooms. Let's kind of cut things down. Um, We can still make it work, but it's just not going to be as grand as it was before. So another thing that happened, uh, you know, and this was actually even before the Supreme Court case, 
was that in January of 1970, Richard Nixon signed the National Environmental Policy Act. So basically what this did was that federal agencies now had to do a study on environmental effects of proposed actions in detail. So they had to actually figure out how is this going to hurt the environment? What's it going to change? And then they had to file these big, big, big reports on this. And so that stuff takes a lot of time. So it took them almost six years to develop the report on this one. They the the Forest Service did not release their report until February of 1976. So uh, Richard Nixon signed the signed the act into law in 1970 the supreme court case happens in 1972 and it wasn't four years later that we actually got the uh, report of the environmental impact so at that point this is 10 years after Mm -hmm. disney had kind of been awarded the winning proposal for development right and then also while this is going on the sierra club is changing their lawsuit so they're trying to conform to the supreme court's ruling and then Finally, we have the nail in the coffin, which was the National Parks and Recreation Act of 1978, which Jimmy Carter signed on November 10th. What this did was make Mineral King part of Sequoia National Park, and now it is untouchable. I honestly think that really it was kind of dead before that because I think Disney lost interest in it because if Disney really wanted to build a ski resort, why would they not just go somewhere else? Like Mineral King is not the only place that you can build a ski resort. There's a ton of ski resorts everywhere. You could have bought an existing one and then just renovated it and turned it into a Disney ski resort. That way you don't have to pay all the money for all all of the infrastructure. They could have found land somewhere else to build a ski resort. Like it seems like really, you know, Walt passing is really when the project kind of lost momentum. Yes, there was all these lawsuits and federal regulations that helped slow it down even more. And then obviously it, becoming part of a national park completely destroyed it. But the fact that there was, I feel like nobody at the company that even really wanted to move forward with it is really what really started to stop it. Right. And I mean, and this is only one of the many casualties that happened after Walt's passing. You know, you had Epcot, which his idea for it was to create an actual real functioning community that became, you know, part of the amusement park. So it really doesn't function the way that he had envisioned it to function. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. A lot of his grander plans, he was now looking past theme parks. Right. Whenever, you know, Florida, like you said, it was meant to be an actual community. He wasn't thinking of it as a theme park again. He, he was kind of past that. He was into city planning and, and that type of stuff, which I think also is what interested him in this ski resort because it's like, how can you build a ski resort differently than just kind of the standard how they are now? But yeah, with, with his passing, you have now executives and you have people that are looking at, well, how can we make something profitable? We don't build cities. We build theme parks. And, right. and, and you kind of start turning to that. And when you devote your resources to that, some of these side projects again, just kind of lose steam because if they really wanted to build, if they really thought they could make a lot of money and it made sense to do a ski resort, why have they not done one? Why have they not done one since? You know, it's, it's never really kind of even come out. It's like, you know, Disney has a ski resort somewhere now. So I, I think that that without having kind of Walt really started now, obviously all of this other stuff, you know, lawsuits don't help. And, you know, all of these other regulations, uh, you know, ultimately killed it. But really, yeah, it seems to me like, you know, 66 and then when they start building Magic Kingdom and just those resources being allocated there really is what 
kind of killed this project. This definitely did tarnish the company's image a little bit in some people's eyes because they were upset that, you know, this company that was known for making winning 37 different awards about their nature, like their work with nature conservation was now trying to destroy nature. And Walt was actually an honorary member of the Sierra Club. There was actually a cartoon of Mickey working with Smokey the Bear conspiring to build Mineral King. So Smokey the Bear is actually the Forest Service mascot. So they were working together to try to, you know, basically destroy the land. So Mickey was crossing out part of the sign and instead of it saying Mineral King, it changed he changed the word to magic and then King Dumb. So it changed it to that to kind of show that they were commercializing this area. And then in 1969, there was an interview with the LA Times in which a Disney executive actually said that Walt would have likely pulled out because of his relationship with the environment and environmentalism. So he probably would have deferred to all of the criticism that was coming the company's way. So it kind of left a nasty taste in some people's mouths. And I'm sure, you know, even the people who wanted it built were mad because then Disney pulled out and lost interest in them. So all around, it was pretty big, a pretty big failure, which is crazy thinking that now today, I knew nothing about it. I just stumbled across this reading a little bit about Disney. And I was like, what? There was almost a ski resort. I need to know more. Yeah, it is interesting. It's not something you hear about a lot. I don't know that it's a failure in the fact that it never got built. I mean, Disney doesn't build a lot of things that they talk about. Mm. So I I don't know that I'd call it a failure in that regard. It was definitely a failure in terms of, to your point, like just like a PR, like a public relations image that... Yeah, a company. And again, you know, Walt very much was he produced these nature documentaries. I think he was somebody that wanted to preserve the environment. So when your company kind of has that image uh, and you're, you know, this family friendly you know, company making these animated movies to kind of get embroiled in these lawsuits that are going to the Supreme Court and you have people protesting against you and, and everything that from a PR perspective, it's not a good look. Yeah, that, that's kind of a failure. But I think the fact that they didn't build it doesn't necessarily make it a failure um, because I imagine Disney has probably dreamed up a lot of plans and ideas that we never even know about. And, you know, so it's not necessarily a failure. We got country bears, you know, jamboree out of this, but from the optics of it, it probably would have never worked with Disney. Maybe that's why they've never even tried again, that they just don't want to get into ski resorts or hotels, you know, things. I mean, even when they went to Walt Disney world, they have now, you know, land dedicated to you know preserve. Most of Disney world is just like, preservation of the swampland i mean they they own a lot more land down there that they haven't developed some of that may have been influenced by some of the stuff that that they you know faced here and if you think about it too a lot of the water parks there are winter themed and i'm i'm wondering if maybe that wasn't even a not a a blizzard beach yeah that wasn't a ski resort yeah exactly (laughs) we got our ski resort in florida (laughs) <laughs> uh, with with Blizzard Beach, so I just want to say a, a special thanks to Nathan Masters, who was the write, the writer of the article that was on kcet.org, which provided a lot of the information for you know this little report that we did. Yeah, and we also got a lot of information from Yesterland and SF Gate as well. But yeah, if you're interested, definitely you know go out, uh, you know Google Mineral King Disney. You know it's always interesting. You know, and not that Disney's not you know real history, but whenever you know Disney kind of intersects with you know real life events so you know supreme court cases and environmental you know policy acts and mineral king becomes part of the national park that it's all kind of intertwined with this and disney's history and to your point it's 
somewhat little known history for mm-hmm. Disney. It's not like, you know, the big flashy stuff of everybody knows when Disneyland was built. Everybody knows when the Magic Kingdom was built and all of that stuff. But some of these things that are, are very interesting because it plays into American history and Disney history. It's interesting to see how those two kind of intersect. Yeah, so I think that wraps up the show for this week. I want to thank everybody again for listening. If you've not done so, please leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps and we really appreciate it. Thanks for letting us your ears. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye.